Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That biblical, biblical theology, theology study of the person of God attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. So please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology. That phrase alone that gives some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough. Uh-huh. Just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation, creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. Yeah. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11:36. Biblical theology encompasses who God is, what he promises and accomplishes. So clever we behold his endeavors unfold. The greatest, greatest story, story ever, ever told. told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. He gave us the word providing us correction. And the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our depth, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Biblical theology. That is what we do here. That's what we try to do here at Theology Matters. Great to be back. We've been gone for several months. And uh, just kind of that one of those things where we had a lot going on. And I'll uh, give you guys kind of a little bit of update here in a minute. Let me get some 
housekeeping out of the way. If you go to Theology Matters with the Palouse at Facebook.com, you will find our Facebook page. And on there we have all of our past shows that we've done. Uh, We've done several debates. People seem to like those quite a lot. They get a lot of downloads. Uh, We've done topics on everything from Mormonism with Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, atheism. So be sure to check out our our Facebook page uh, for that, and then you can catch our podcasts. Uh, But, yes, it's great to be back. Um, We have been very busy getting Ratio Christie established at Winthrop University and uh, glad to announce that after well, almost two years of work, uh, getting everything prepped and everything kind of laying the foundation, we have finally been formally chartered. So we are really excited about that. And what that means is now we can host our own events. This is a big thing. We've uh, we've done two events on the campus, and uh, it's kind of hard, unfortunately, getting people who want to work with you and uh, getting our events uh, on campus sometimes is a bit of a struggle. Uh, but uh, the Secular Student Alliance, or the Free Thinkers group at Winthrop University, has been very gracious to us, and they have um, rented big, uh, big uh, amphitheater for us. And we've got to hold several events, and uh, we're really growing. It's amazing. Last semester we really didn't have any students uh, other than one or two this semester we've had uh, 25 to 30 joining us so it's been been really amazing to see what God is doing with Ratio Christie at Winthrop University and secondly I have been going through internship at my church Park Baptist Church um, started in January going through their pastoral internship and that requires a lot of reading and a lot of books and a lot of time and meetings, etc. So that's kind of been eating our eating some time as well. I want to be able to devote, you know, to that 100%. Uh, but probably the big reason why we haven't been here is I had school on Thursday nights um, at Southern Evangelical Seminary, where you can go and get a degree in apologetics or philosophy if you like. And uh, it was a great class. Did uh, did a class on uh, biblical uh, biblical studies, kind of biblical methods, and it was a great class. Great teacher, Dr. Brian Huffling. He's been on this show several times. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a it was a great semester, and we look forward to the summer. Glad to be back. We've got some real good shows lined up for you guys in the future, uh, as well as tonight. And so, yep, glad to be back. If you want to get a hold of us, you can always uh, message us at Theology Matters on our Facebook page. People will do that and get a hold of us. Um, I'm going to be setting up a uh, another email account for us here. I should have that by next week. And let us know if you have apologetic events going on in your neighborhood or in your community. And we can let we can get it out. You know, we let people know uh, what's what's going on. Sometimes uh, the world of apologetics can be a little lonely, depending on where you live. I'm I'm uh, blessed to be in Charlotte area, so three seminaries, all within you know uh, a driving distance. Um, so that's good. 
But I haven't always lived in Charlotte. I remember living in Utah, in Oregon, and that, that you know, those kind of areas out there, <clears throat> it's hard to find people that do apologetics or apologetic events. <clears throat> so let us know if you're having uh, events at your church or whatever, and we would be glad to uh, glad to get you on with that as well. So, so tonight, uh, what we wanted to do was uh, I'm going to bring my friend on. Uh, his name is Rob Lundberg, and we're going to interview him for a little bit. And uh, kind of let me let me tell you a little bit about Rob. He sent me his bio here, so. Let's see. Rob's mission is impassioned toward the equipping the saints and the present generations with credible answers to challenges toward faith, ethics, and values from a biblical worldview. Rob understands today's issues from a worldview perspective and knows how to incorporate the discipline of apologetics into the task of evangelism so as to communicate the gospel in a persuasive and compassionate uh, manner. He has earned a BA in Religious Studies from Oklahoma Baptist University and an MDiv from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary and a Certificate in Christian Apologetics from Biola University. He's also a certified apologetics instructor with the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Let me bring on my good friend Rob Lundberg. Rob, you there? Yes, we are. Thank you, Devin. Glad to be on. Oh, it's good to good to hear you, man. Good, great to uh, <clears throat> great to have you on. We've been wanting to do this for a while, haven't we? Yeah, it's been about three years. I think uh, when we were trying to start a chapter at uh, University of Mary Washington, I'm also hooked up with Ratio Christie. I think that's where we first met. We met one of the first symposiums, and uh, I met you for the first time. I think we were talking about it back then, and finally we get a chance to do it tonight. So I'm really grateful. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, great to have you on, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your upbringing, your home life. Did you did you grow up in a Christian home, or were you around a college? No, actually, um, I was raised in a pretty religious home. It wasn't really a Christian home. Um, I was encouraged, matter of fact. Um, I would say... Uh, strongly encouraged to go to church while I lived under my parents' roofs. Uh, my parents went. They didn't go. You know, this basically a do as I say, do, not do as I do type environment. Uh, but it wasn't really too too bad. I mean, uh, they they encouraged us to get there, and we had we had some religious instruction. It was I was raised in a congregational church. I don't know if um, being in this part of the uh, uh, eastern seaboard many people know at the congregational church but it turned out you know it, it was a, a branch off of the swedish swedish pietist movement um back after um like in the what, 16 17 1800s somewhere along the line there when swedish immigrants came uh to the united states they started a denomination it was they have different types of churches some of them are liberal some of them moderate some of them uh some of very you know very biblical. I was kind of in a moderate church. I went through confirmation, got stellar attendance in Sunday school, you know, the whole gamut. Uh, we had diplomas every year, and 
I got the star for attendance and everything, but uh, I really was uh, around age 16. None of that really, um, uh, really meant a whole lot, you know. Uh, get involved in youth group and um, the the really interesting thing, and I'll I'll refer to these folks in just a second. Ernie and Pearl Robertson were some Sunday school teachers that the Lord used um, as part of a, a God's way of reminding me what I had heard in the past. Um, after I had become a skeptic, um, age 16, it's 16 and a half. I, I started seeing some things, and of course, you know, we see today, you know, Devin with the the trends of our teenagers today going on the internet. We didn't have the internet then. Um, we were watching uh, adults. We were watching testimonies of people. We were listening very intently. Uh, we were wanting to identify with people, our own peers in high school and all. And um, I became one of those uh, loose atheists, I guess you could say. Uh, a term that is often used today that we're hearing instead of nuns, you know, we hear of like atheists and nuns, people with no religion, no no religious uh, preference. Uh, there's a new term out. I don't know if you've heard it yet. It's called apatheists. I was really apathetic mm-hmm. to religion. So much so I was I was skeptical, and I would say I was an atheist. I wouldn't be like the 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 Richard Dawkins type atheist or the internet atheist today. It's just I just really didn't care. Uh, I didn't really care about uh, religion. I didn't really care about Jesus. Yeah, I, I knew the stories, and I really started challenging and questioning whether Jesus was who he really said he was, whether the Bible really is uh, what people were telling me in Sunday school it was, and the pastor was kind of uh, waffling on whether it was the Word of God at that time. Um, And then uh, I went to college, and I wanted to fit in. And I wanted to fit in in such a way that, you know, know, I just became a skeptic. I got involved in the party scene. I didn't do the drugs. But uh, I got involved in the what they called the Rat Skeller, which was where the students hung out and partied and drank and all of that and wanted to identify. Well, around that time, um, after changing my major five times and then flunking out, I had started working at a, um, a um, what is called York Steakhouse in Brockton, Massachusetts. It's no longer, no longer in existence. They went under. But I had uh, met two, these two ladies, um, one of them whom I was dating, and both of them had invited me to their church. And this was in 1980. Um, so, you know, you figure three and a half, four years of skepticism and all of this and looking to identify and fit in. Um, I was starting to get amenable to reading uh, the scripture, at least looking at it just seeing what it was. I had I had run into a friend of mine uh, who had what we would call a born-again experience. He had his life changed with an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he challenged me on some things. And I'll go back to that before I go to the young ladies inviting me to the um, to the concert. He had invited... We had our very last football game of the high school year in Massachusetts. That's where I'm from originally. And uh, we had our last high school football game of the year on Thanksgiving. You know, football ends a little earlier down here, and uh, then you get the playoffs and everything in high school. We we ended, we we played in the snow. 
and we played in the muck and the muck and the rain and the icy rain and the sleet and all of, of the thing, what sometimes happens at Thanksgiving. Well, I had run into a friend of mine at, as a as a nineteen uh, year old about a year before my conversion. I was already starting to question what I was really believing, and long and short of it all, he said, "Rob, he said." Uh, he changed my life. Jesus changed my life, man. He says, you know, and I told him, I said, look, I said, I'm a skeptic. I said, I, I'm really skeptical of this stuff. He said, Rob, he said, look at the resurrection. And I said, okay, I'll look at the resurrection. And, of course, we didn't have the Internet. I went to the encyclopedias. I went to whatever resource book. I was found finding myself in the library. I was looking and uh, I went back and I, I started looking at the at the Bible a little bit more intently. And I ran into passages in John, uh, in Matthew uh, 24, where Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. He says, uh, why are you startled? Why do doubts arise in your minds and your hearts? Touch me and see a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then I'm thinking, okay, well... Um, all right, and then I ran into John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And I'm thinking, oh, really, that's in today's day and age, that'd be really narrow-minded, fundamentalist, bigoted statement that anybody would want to hear. You know, that Jesus is claiming exclusivity. But I had to deal with that statement. I had to deal with that statement just like people had to have to deal with that statement today when we do evangelism. And then I ran into. Uh, the encounter with John, uh, with Thomas. And of course, we know the story about Thomas. It's it's not a story; it's an account. It's a historical record of an appearance between doubting man and the risen Jesus. And he said, "See my hands and my feet, as I myself touch me and see." And 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 in Matthew 24, and, and eight days later, Thomas shows up, and uh, he says, "Unless I put my finger." And the hand, and my hand in the side, put my finger in the holes. He said, "Forget it, I'm not believing." Well, I was right along with Thomas, though I didn't see it at the time. But here was an eyewitness, and I took Thomas as an eyewitness. And I'm thinking, there's got to be something to this, <coughs> right? And you know, you look at Matthew's gospel. I looked at the gospels. I looked at every every gospel where there was a resurrection appearance. And right around that time, this is where the two young ladies come in. I was looking at it. I had my confirmation Bible when I was looking at this. And uh, they said, there's a concert, uh, an evangelism um, evangelism concert. We'd like to invite you to it. A man by the name of Johnny Hall. Well, Johnny Hall, um, I think, is probably still uh, doing some music evangelism. He, at, Around that time, he was doing a lot of work with the Billy Graham crusade. And, Devin, it was that night that I heard the gospel. I heard that Christ died for my sins, according to the scriptures, I, that he was buried, he rose. And it was like God flipped a switch from unbelief, from my skepticism to believing and trusting. And that's wow. how God works. And then shortly after that, then looking back and reflecting, what was really interesting was <clears throat> as, a, as a skeptic, as a, as a very weak atheist, um, I was challenging people. I was saying, you know, why, why, why do you believe this? Why do you believe right. this is true? And I got this typical answer because, the, you know, the stuff that you and I hear today. <laughs> the stuff that makes us want to stick our head in the oven? <laughs> yes, 
Exactly. You know, it's like, well, the Bible says so. Well, I was raised that way, and that's that's the type of stuff that Richard Dawkins has <laughs> a field day with. You know, I was raised that way. Um, we, you know, you're a Christian because you were raised that way. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was redeemed by the Holy Spirit. I was redeemed. I was touched. I was, I was, I was drawn and 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 saved. You know, but I, I, I'd be talking to these folks. Well, I go, I go back to those folks, and I said, you know, God saved me. God changed me. I go back and I talk to Ernie and Pearl Robertson, and they said, we have been praying for you. And they're they're at home with the Lord. Uh, they 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 went home to be with the Lord on separate separate instances a few years ago. But I was I'm glad I was able to go back and and um, and and talk with them and tell them what God had done. And then and there, right after that, is when I got interested in apologetics. And the reason being is because when I was a skeptic, nobody could really tell me why they could believe what they believe. And 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 seeing people not living out the faith, and you know, trying to find out, scratching my head, wondering why. I wanted to know why Christianity was true. Yeah, I think uh, I think you and me have a, have a similar. Story, Rob. Other than the fact that uh, I was actually brought up in a Christian home, and my father was a pastor with a uh, major Pentecostal denomination, but I had so many questions about evolution, reliability of the Bible, things like you know how did dinosaurs fit in the Bible, you know just things like that, <clears throat> and uh, never never had answers, you know. So I think uh, I think that's probably why you and me are so passionate, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would think so. You know, one of the I was a pastor for a year and a half, um, in a in a Baptist church, and I, I've I've heard some of the horror stories, and they, and to me personally, they're horror stories when somebody comes to their pastor, and they have a question, and the pastor that well he does is he just pulls a book off the shelf and says, "Here, read this," instead of sitting right. down and talking with I I had the privilege of having people come to me and say, what about this? I said, come on, let's sit down and talk about it. And giving wow. answers. You know, well, let's, we let's need apologetic that, pastors that. today. Hey, Amen. That's, that's, boy, don't get me on that soapbox, Rob. I'll take over the show. <laughs> <laughs> we got a few minutes left here. Talk to us about what's going on. Tell, tell us, first of all, what is Ratio Christie about? What does Ratio Christie do? And uh, what is your involvement with it? Well, Ratio Christi is a student-led apologetics alliance. Um, I think our new president, uh, Corey Miller, is changing that a little bit, but uh, uh, it's been for the last four years, almost five years now, um, uh, student-led apologetics alliance uh, that is equipping students using the academic, simply stated, using the academic disciplines and bringing those under the lordship of Jesus Christ to show how Christianity stands far above all the other worldviews and all the other religions and the skeptical worldviews that are out there. Um, we're going and trying to stem the tide. Ratio Christian, I'm I'm just giving a summation of, of my my explanation, what I tell people, you know, you can go to the website ratiochristie.org and you can see something a little bit, uh, a little bit similar to what I'm saying. But what we're doing is we are equipping students to be able to stand firm against the the, the challenges that they face from their peers and from their professors. Um, 
there was a recent uh, encounter that we saw, I think, at Howard University on Facebook. I don't know if you saw that, where this student was given an F because she would not uh, would not recant on her Christian convictions in a in a humanities class or something like that. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw, and, <clears throat> saw the article, but I didn't I didn't get a chance yeah. to read it. Well, that one that one's a little <laughs> bit uh, more horrific. I think the the legal the legal folks went and. Um, stood firm on that, but anybody that has seen the movie God's Not Dead it has got a little snippet of what um, possibly goes on in some college university classrooms, where there's a kid sitting there, and I mean, he may be the only Christian, yeah. he, may be, he may have Christians in there who are not as passionate about their faith um, as, as, um, as, as he is, or she is, and Ratio Christie sets up meetings. We have meetings. I'm at Germana Community College, and we just started meeting for the first time on campus this year. We just we got our charter uh, approved uh, the very beginning of the year, and we're able to meet on campus. Um, and it's funny, the night that we met on campus was the night they were showing Jeepers Creepers, which is a horror movie, out on the main, and we had 20 students show up. Um, for our, wow. Ratio, our inaugural first Ratio Christie meeting on campus. It was a really great night. And then um, be, I'm in a, being in a community college instead of, you know, you're at Winthrop and, you know, you're a four-year college. I'm in a, in a little bit of a challenging area with um, with Germana Community College here in, in what we lovingly call the Berg in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, we have changing schedules. And we have satellite campuses, so it's very hard to nail down students and have expect their expect them to attend a meeting. So what we ended up doing, uh, about a third of the way through the semester, the spring semesters, we changed the time. And what we did was change the time, and we ended up drawing different students, getting more students, and we averaged about fifteen, ten to fifteen students. Uh, on on a given late afternoon, we changed it from our eight o'clock to nine o'clock hour to five o'clock to six o'clock. We showed the debate with Frank Turek and Michael Shermer, but we ended up the, the server ended up bottlenecking. But we had two atheists show up at, for the debate, and uh, we ended up showing Frank's debate with um, with David Silverman that night, and then. Being that it was on YouTube and we had that, and I had it downloaded on my on my on my laptop and shown it through a projector. The interesting thing was we had these atheists that that wanted to come. I had gone down to the the lounge where they hang out, this one of the student lounges downstairs, and I said I got I want to take a poll. I just I just interrupted everything. I interrupted I interrupted their card games. I interrupted their TV watching. The guitar strumming. There was about eight to ten students down there, <laughs> and I, I just, I, hey, I want to take a poll. Uh, can I get your attention, please? And I got, I got their attention. I said, morals. I said, question. Are they best explained by God? Or are they best explained by science? How many people say by God? And two people raised their hand. It was about eight, eight people down there. And then I said, how many people think science? And there was about four or five that raised their hand. And I said, how many people don't know? And the rest of them raised their hand. I said, well, I want to cordially invite you to an event that we are holding in, in, in the room number in, in, in 
Dickinson 217, and we are showing a debate answering that question. And we had two of them show up. And as we got as as Frank got finished with his first 20 minutes, Silverman got uh, Michael uh, David Silverman got done with his first 20 minutes, and then they had their 10 rebuttal, 10 minutes rebuttals, and all, and then they went head to head. The two eighth, right. said, can we turn the, can we turn this off? I said, what's the problem? They said, well, we want to address Frank Turk's arguments because we don't like what Silverman is saying. See, can you imagine wow. these skeptics are going and saying <laughs> these skeptics are going and saying we don't like what they're they're not liking how their boy is arguing. Right. That's good. So, that's good. I mean, so that's, what we're doing is with Ratio Christie, I'm the yeah with Ratio Christie, I'm local chapter director, community apologist, and uh, we're just we're looking to looking for a revival in Fredericksburg of apologetics. We have some people from other churches that are liking our Facebook page. We're looking to possibly do some meetups this summer in preparation and, and do some planning so that we can bring Frank Turk, Frank Turk to the Berg in the fall. So there you uh, go. There's, some, well, there's some excitement and there's, there's a buzzing amongst the students and some of the faculty saying, We're, we want this to happen. And we've got a, we've got uh, our church yeah. jumping on board and being supportive of this too. So that's God is really a blessing that's, here in Fredericksburg. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's important though. So that your church and that is uh, on board. So Rob, appreciate you being on, man. Um, Rob's a good friend. Like I say, uh, I think when we met, it was at the the National Apologetics Conference here in Charlotte, right? It was. It was. Uh, it was at the conference. Uh, actually, it was at the symposium. Um, okay. It was a symposium when uh, the the year we had uh, Dr. John Lennox uh, as one of the speakers, and um, I think, and you had mentioned that you had your radio program at that time, and right. we were, you know, you had mentioned, and it's it's been about two years or so, but you know, I, I'm really I'm really <laughs> you know, glad you know that what, I just you know what I remember. You know, you know what What's I remember, that? Rob. I remember sitting at the dinner table, you and me sitting at the dinner table after the conference, and we were surrounded by like eight different guys for reasons to believe. And uh, you and me were both kind of outspoken younger creationists. And uh, that was last <laughs> I remember. year. That was, was it, last was it last year. year? That was at the restaurant last, last year. year. We were having Mexican food. Yes. And um, we were having yeah these happened, guys not... these guys from these middle middle earthers or old earthers or whatever they're trying to figure themselves out to be, um, <laughs> they have these two um, two um, young earth creationists and you know mm-hmm. not really they're appreciating be... not appreciating a local debate and how their young earth guy uh, how their young earth guy debated with. Uh, <laughs> Bill Nye, the science guy. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really like that debate. I, I think you didn't either. But we were right. we were going, and they were trying to pin us to that debate, which was really funny. And we we're telling them, no, we don't really agree with how that was debated. They, those were the two wrong right. guys to, to debate the subject. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes, yeah, that was a I fun remember. time. That was a fun time. I remember. I remember Doctor Howe saying, you know, in the um, in the in the panel, uh, I think we were both at that one where you had uh, Dr. Richard Howe and Jay Lyle and um, um, I can't remember the other guy. He was the... Got all um, of them. Got all of them. Yes. 
And uh, yeah, um, Dr. Howe was saying, yeah, I'm a young earth guy, but not for your reasons, Dr. Lyle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Good enough, man. I appreciate you, buddy. We will be in contact and look forward Absolutely. to having you back on and uh, do another show in the future. Absolutely. Would love to. All right, man. Thanks for coming on, Rob. God bless, buddy. All right, all right, brother. Thank you. You too, and uh, have a great show. All right. All right, all right friends, bless. we are going to go ahead and uh, take a break right now and uh, transition into the next section of our show, so stay with us and uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a look at evangelism and apologetics. And our next guest coming up, I got to spend a couple hours with him actually, today on the phone, and uh, just a great guy, dear brother in the Lord, and look forward to uh, to talking with him. So uh, let your friends know uh, we're on. We're taking your phone calls. Uh, I'll probably open them up probably about the 7 o'clock hour at 760-542-3907, 760-542-3907. We'll be back. God bless. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. It's no secret that philosophy has been given a bad rap by some in Christian circles. Why do you think that's the case? Well, bad philosophy needs a bad rap. Uh, And a lot of Christians, that's all they know. Colossians 2.8 says, beware of philosophy. Actually, there's a definite article of the in Greek. It's talking about particular bad philosophy was kind of incipient Gnosticism that existed there. Christians have nothing to fear from a good philosophy. In fact, we need good philosophy to answer the bad philosophy, as C.S. Lewis said. So I think Christians need to get into philosophy because God commanded it, because uh, the world uh, demands it, and because the results confirm it. Uh, I can tell you any number of people who have been trained in philosophy and apologetics who have had great ministries and winning people to Christ who would not otherwise have been won to Christ. I have a whole file full of people who said I was an agnostic, I was an atheist, I read your book, uh, I appreciated the reasoning that was in it, and I've come to know uh, Christ, and I want to thank you for uh, writing that book. So the uh, proof of the pudding is in the uh, eating. It has good results, uh, good philosophy, has good results. You can't know error without studying truth, but you can't answer error without studying philosophy because you wouldn't go to a doctor who didn't study sickness. If you went to a doctor who said, what's wrong with that? He said, I got a pain in my apostat near my zorch or wherever you get pains. And he said, uh, what would you like to know about health? He said, look, doctor, I'm, I'm dying. I got a pain. I don't want to know about health. I want to know, can you cure this sickness I've got? So you can know the truth, but if you don't know error, you don't know how to apply the truth to the error and when the people were in error. You're listening to the Ankerberg Minute with apologist and best-selling author, Dr. John Ankerberg. How can we know that God exists? Well, there are many arguments for the existence of God, but one of the most popular is known as the moral argument. The moral argument shares that every law needs a lawgiver, a personal being who is the source of our innate sense of right and wrong. Since moral laws do exist, such as not lying, stealing, or not to murder, there must be an original source for these morals. The Bible explains that God alone is holy, righteous, and morally perfect. 
and exactly fits the description of this moral lawgiver. As Paul said, God's righteousness endures forever. God alone is holy and serves as our source of perfection and standard of guidance for life. For additional resources on this topic, log on to johnankerberg.org. All right, folks, welcome back. And uh going to transition into the <clears throat> second part of our show now. And we're going to be looking at apologetics in evangelism. So joining us to discuss this topic is my friend uh, Jonathan, I think it's Pritchett, I think is how you say it. I'll let him correct me. Uh, but he grew up in central Arkansas. And he has degrees from both Liberty University and Biola University, a couple of very good schools. Uh, completing, he's currently completing his doctorate at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, where he's a professor. Uh, he continues to be blessed with his beautiful wife, Misty, and their three kids. And so uh, let's let's bring him on and kind of dive into this topic. Jonathan, are you there? I'm here, and it's a pleasure to be here. And you yeah, got my name right, time. too. Oh, did I? Okay. I wasn't sure. I guess pretty soon it'll be it'll be Dr. Pritchett, right? Well, let's hope. They're not going easy on me just because yeah. I work here, though. So, But, uh, right. yeah, no, I, I, you'd be amazed because when I was growing up as a kid, I participated in soccer and swimming and all this stuff, and I have so many trophies on my wall where my name is John Pritchard. And that's not my name. <laughs> my, my name is Jonathan Pritchett, and I don't know how... The ETT is silent, and you add an ARD to it, but, you know, that's how it goes when you have a weird last name like mine that you can imagine all the words that you could rhyme with Pritchett, too, that I heard growing up, so. Yeah, oh, yeah. Palu, I'll tell you what, Palu is not a whole lot better. I get Palau and Pillow and, uh, <laughs> what are our parents yeah. doing to us, right? <laughs> yeah. So did I leave anything out in the introduction? Is there anything you wanted to add to that, or? Uh, no that that was that that was a truncated version of the the one I sent you. you. You caught me off guard with. I was like, I never thought that I needed to provide a bio, so I just rambled off the top of my head uh, about the Razorbacks, of course, being from Arkansas. So I talked about yeah, you know, the Razorback fan. We, we had to edit the whole uh, Razorback thing because we're, we're the Razorback thing. My noisy Louisville fan neighbors and. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, let's see, what else? Uh, licensed Barber. Uh, that's another there one of my – I'm still a licensed barber. I pay my fee every year to keep that up. Uh, it was a nine-month barber college that took me two years to get through because I didn't go full-time uh, like I was supposed to. So I'm really proud of that barber's license. And um let's see, what else? Oh, big Lego uh, aficionado. So there's that too. Really? Wow. Oh yeah, me and 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 I I would say oh well you know I I've had three kids so you know I, I like to do that way. I, if I had no kids I'd still have a bunch of Lego <laughs> in my house so I can't really pass it on the I make them play with Lego toys so that I can can you know I can justify it. You, my adult that way you, can, you can borrow it. It's so fun having kids. I mean I've got a little two year old daughter and um. It's just like being able to relive your childhood again, you know. You That's right. Wake up Saturday mornings and watch the Ninja Turtles and Spider Man. It's like uh, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> it is. So good stuff. 
Yeah, talk, talk to us a little bit, uh, Jonathan. Tell us tell us a little bit about kind of how you grew up and where you grew up and how you met your wife and that. Oh well, yeah. Um, I actually uh, I grew up in Maumel, Arkansas, which is which is a you know a middle class kind of suburb outside of uh, Little Rock, which is the capital, and and a nice quiet little community. We were a good Methodist family starting off. Um, and then, uh, Methodists do this pastor swap deal every few years. And, uh, we got a, uh, we ended up with one of those guys that, uh, was out of Duke Divinity School and all the theological garbage that comes with that. And my dad became very frustrated and, and, you know, he just, he, he found John MacArthur on the radio and that was uh, his ticket out of there when he found out that one of his protégés was uh, had a church in Little Rock just across the river. So we stopped being Methodist at that point, and we went to the Bible church, and we became members like the first Sunday we attended, and I got enrolled in the private school there. And <laughs> we did that whole thing. That It was a Wanna Valley Christian Academy, a little, high, uh, little uh, private Christian school right there in the uh, in the Bible church. And so, you know, I, I had a famous pastor, I think before he was probably famous, but but uh, <laughs> that was kind of neat. And so uh, we started doing that for years until high school, and my mom got tired of driving across the river and said, can't we find uh, a, a church closer to home? So uh, I was a year-round swimmer, and uh, during the summers, uh, I would swim for our neighborhood uh, swim team because I was mediocre in the year-round leagues, but I was the stud in the uh, in the little community league. So we started doing that, and a uh, pastor introduced himself to my dad, and uh, they got to know each other, and so we started attending their church because it was local, and that's when I became a Southern Baptist about the age of 15, Uh so people might not know this, but Steve Lawson wasn't always a Southern Baptist pastor. I don't know if I'm outing him on that or not, but but uh, oh, wow. we became Southern Baptists. And uh, at that point, I'd stopped going to the private school, and I was going to a high school in Little Rock. Uh, and I actually met my wife in high school. She was a senior, and I was a sophomore, so she was way too cool to talk to me while we were actually in high school. <laughs> so so we, 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 we didn't actually start dating until years later, <laughs> but but I didn't meet her and know her in high school, but but not very well. I just uh, she knew who I was and I knew who she was, and she was actually dating uh, a guy who lived up the street from us at, uh, while she was in high school. So I kind of met her through through the neighborhood fellas, and and of course he wasn't cool enough to hang out with us either. So. It was kind of a a thing there where I might not have been cool enough for her, but her boyfriend wasn't cool enough for us. So in my my little group, you know. So anyway, um, but I got saved when I was seventeen. So I'd, I'd grown up uh, in a Christian family, but it wasn't until there was a revival uh, going on at, at Garrett Springs First Baptist Church, Little Rock, that a a, a buddy of mine uh, uh, in high school he had known that I was. You know, I was a guy who went to a uh, church on a regular basis and had a Christian family. And 
he he knew this stuff about me. He was in one of my classes. But what he knew was is there was no way I could possibly be a Christian given the way that I behaved in high school. And so wow. he said, yeah. And so he's he and thank goodness for that. You know, they say, oh, we don't have a Holy Spirit detector. We can't tell who's saying. Well, no, this guy knew for he could just tell by the way I behaved that I probably wasn't a believer. Uh you know, I was just a cultural Christian or whatever. So he he invited me to to come to this youth rally deal, and so I went a couple nights because it's you know when you're in when you're young and you're in high school, uh, youth rallies were always a place to meet girls. So of course I wanted to go, um, but I ended up not meeting any girls there. But I ended up uh, coming down in the front during the invitation because I knew after the 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 message that there you know my friend had had the right idea about me uh, I I was not living out my faith so I went down and and received Christ and and uh, God saved me on uh, it was around May right before we let out for summer of uh, 1994 I want to say it's been so long ago now um, but that's uh, and then I told my parents and they were like well, that's good, <laughs> you know. Uh, you, you, you know, we, we, you know, and I think there was like a time when I was really little that I, I think that something might have happened with me at vacation Bible school where they they wanted to make sure, you know, I was five years old and I said a hunt to the right things and and all of that. But they, you know, my family had known and my friends that 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 cared about this kind of thing and knew that that I needed to meet Jesus and and I hadn't, and so. Uh, from that point on, uh, I uh, wanted to be a rock star. And after you become a Christian, you've always got that you want to tell everybody about it, you know. And you get that initial adrenaline rush of, 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 of you know, you just want to go out and evangelize and tell everybody. And, and I thought, well, well, the perfect way to do it was to do what some of uh, these other guys were doing uh, uh, in our town of Little Rock. Uh, there was a christian band called living sacrifice back in the day they were like a death metal kind of christian band can't understand the words they're saying but it looked really cool and so i I started doing that with some friends uh we we had one of those christian band things and we would we'd go around and we'd play different venues and uh we were a little bit different because you know i had grown up uh in church so i had had it programmed in me that that whatever ministry you did, if you wanted to do evangelism, you had to preach the gospel. And so we did something different that the other bands wouldn't do, is other bands that were Christian bands kept telling us, well, we let the lyrics do the talking through the music and all of this other stuff. And I said, no, that's never been God's means, you know, preaching the words God's means uh, when you're in public, you know in front of an audience, and whether it was right. 20 people or 200 people, we decided, well, they can't understand a word I'm saying anyway while we're playing the music, so it's kind of self-defeating that way. So we actually started uh, giving sermons <laughs> before we'd play our closing wow. song. And so that's how I cut my teeth on evangelism was, you know, uh, in the in the Christian music scene around the Southwest for a while. And uh, dodging beer bottles and giving invitations in the middle of nightclubs and stuff like that. So evangelism's kind of always been with me uh, uh, as far as something I want to 
be heavily involved in in whatever ministry capacity I, the Lord puts me in. But uh, it was about the time I was 21 or so, I, I started to have my doubts. You know, that's when it, the 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 uh, the realization that, uh, well, you know, nobody's waiting for you to become the next. Uh, DC Talk, you know, that's what was big. Jesus Freak was big back then. You know, it was the the mid to late 90s. Right. And 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 so nobody was knocking on on that door. And uh I had just turned 21 uh and I was kind of just coasting along with life. And uh you know, I just I I I fell back into that nominal state. You know, I, I stayed faithful. But I, the doubt started creeping in, and so I said, well, what's next? So I enrolled in Barber College because I didn't like school at all. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, I'm a teacher now. <laughs> but I, I didn't like school, so I wanted, to go to, I wanted to go to Barber College. And so I did that, and from there it was, uh, well, I need to get married. And so I actually ran into my wife, you know, years later since she ignored me in high school, and we started dating, and then we we got married, and started coasting, and uh, I was just kind of uh, a little bit uh, falling out of of love with you know Jesus, and falling out of love with the church life, and all of that, and started just becoming very nominal again because I had all these doubts, and I started to talk to my dad about it, and my dad was never into apologetics at all. Um, it just it, it, he, but he knew about it. It just wasn't his thing. But he did the best that he could, and he he came up to me with two books, and he said, "Son, I, I don't really know how to talk to you about these these doubts you're having, but you know you're asking a lot of questions that I've seen other people ask and get answers to." So he, he put down two books. He put down "Evidence uh, That Demands a Verdict" and "The Case for Christ" by Lee Strobel, and for no other reason then the case for Christ had a later copyright date, so it was obviously newer and better. You know, uh, I, I said, well, I'll take this one. I'm not going to read both of those books, but I'll take this one. And so I took Lee Strobel's book, and uh, going through all of that and being fascinated with all of the interviews and the, and the discussions with the scholars he, he was talking, talking to and interviewing uh, about all those different topics in the book, that really ignited it back for me. Uh, and it really got me to start taking my faith more serious again. This was my early to mid-20s. And so I really fell in love with apologetics uh, because when you're, when you're a barber and you're just starting out uh, in your own barber shop, you have a lot of dead time trying to build your clientele. And so you just start devouring all these books to pass the time uh, or you watch sports. So uh, in between television and, and uh, books, I, I would read on, on all this apologetic stuff, and I, r- I really got excited about it. And it, and it uh, kind of rejuvenated uh, my faith, and it helped uh, me be a better husband and father and man of the house, you know, spiritual leader there, too. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I, uh, you know, kind of a vanilla testimony uh, is all that. But I think uh, for me, the apologetics and the evangelism streams that kind of came along at uh, key points in my life is kind of how I fell in love with marrying the two together. And um, that's 
that's one of the reasons why I like, to, you know, Dr. Braxton Hunter, and he invited me to come down to Trinity, uh, and why I liked what he was doing because he had, was had put the two together, and he kind of took over uh, the evangelistic arm of the seminary that his dad started back in 1991. And so I said, well, here's a guy that's actually doing it, you know. Yeah. He he doesn't right. just talk about it. He doesn't just encourage others to do it, but he, he he's doing it. So I said. That's that's what I need to that's where I need to go that's what I need to be a part of and so that's kind of how uh, there's 38 years for you and it probably took longer than it need, <laughs> needed to but but that's kind of how I, I I got into this how I got into uh, uh, apologetics and why evangelism and, and and also discipleship I'm big on apologetics and discipleship too so so all of that is that's kind of how all those different streams. Uh, fed into what I feel God has called me to do, as far as what He what He wants me to focus on and and uh, participate in and encourage and, and and teach others. So, yeah, you know, I think what I find so encouraging about you and and Doctor Hunter and uh, friends, we've had uh, Doctor Braxton Hunter on the show before, and it was uh, it was it was just a great show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, we have plans to have him back on hopefully very soon and uh, talk about some of his other books. Uh, but, you know, I, I just love how you guys really do put it into practice. You know, you see a lot of yeah, apologists, they know a lot of things, but they don't do anything with it other than, you know, sit in the room and read philosophy all day, which is which is really not what we're called to do. No, it's the lure of it. You know, there, there, it, I think apologetics. Once you get past a, super, uh, a certain level, it and and same with philosophy, and especially if you married the two. Um, once you get past a certain level of it, it becomes uh, an addictive habit to just constantly want to continue to to stretch those mental uh, muscles. And to continue to go into that, and you can get lost in it. And um, you know, with that, I think you've got to keep that in balance with uh, being a participant in the body of Christ and doing what God has called people to do. And 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 I think now more than ever, those people that are inclined to that kind of uh, thinking that, that that they're attracted to the rigors of apologetics and philosophy. Uh, they're the ones that you need off the bench and out doing the evangelism, you know, because they're they're uniquely qualified, especially at this time in our culture. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter what kind of apologetics you're into. I think this is, you know, you could. I don't like to say there's a golden age of anything, but there's certainly been a, a rise in apologetics over the last ten, fifteen years, uh, as as far as at least in a an. American evangelical context, um, but yeah. we haven't seen that quite penetrate down from the, you know, the groupy blogs, the 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 the, uh, the call your friends over and pop the popcorn because the 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 YouTube debate is about to get posted or live streamed. You know, it still stays <laughs> in those little pockets, and it's that one group in the church that nobody else will talk to. You know, if you have a church with more than one person interested in it, you know, and it, yeah. that's actually a tragedy in 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 my view because uh, this is the time I think that that those with an interest in apologetics need to show everybody why you love it so much and also 
uh, engage uh, the lost people uh, in your communities. Um, Braxton and I, we had this little thing that we had started. We we still haven't done anything with it, but we were going to start this other little thing. We called it B-Team Apologetics because we knew – we knew we're not going to be William Lane Craig, and that's okay. You know, it's a, no, not everyone can be William Lane Craig, um, and William Lane Craig doesn't want anyone to be William Lane Craig. So we knew, okay, we're going to be we're going to be the third string guys, you know, or, or maybe Braxton's the second string, you know, maybe he's the backup, you know. But we're the B team. We're 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 not going to, you know. He's had some pretty good debates and some pretty good venues, but but other than that, you know. It's not like he's doing it 20 engagements a year or anything, and I'm not either. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, the biggest tragedy for me in this is I see a, a lot of people wasting a lot of their time either uh, in their own little apologetics world in the church or wasting time on the Internet with meaningless debates with people that are just there to monopolize your time. And, yeah. and and make sure that you never get the last word on these internet debates, and they keep you keep getting the notifications, and you keep going back. And I've fallen into that trap myself, uh, so I know yeah. all about it, you know, because yeah, my gosh, I'm going to get that thing. last word because yeah. I have to respond to every single thing they say, because right. sure, surely there's got to be ten thousand people reading, and of course there's nobody reading at that point, you know, uh, but just you and this guy, and he's. Yeah, and he's just monopolizing your time, and, and, and you're wasting your life. So um, I'll, my thing is I, I, I hope that we can uh, – and one of the things we try to do with our apologetics program here at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary is we, we, don't, we not only want to teach people the, the, the information, um, we want to teach people how to become busy, and that's, that's oh. our goal. Uh, that kind of sets – I think that's a distinction that sets us apart from other uh, places. We're not just going to teach you the, the apologetics material. We're going to teach you how to do something with it and go be busy and itinerate if that's what you want to do or implement it in your churches uh, and strengthen your evangelistic teams. Maybe, Lord knows, we need – you're Southern Baptist, so I can say this and it makes sense to you – we need to get back to the old school visitations and things like that that, that Southern Baptist yeah. churches used to do, where you actually get together with people from your church and you go out and you uh, visit with people, uh, whether they right. filled out a card on Sunday or you just. I mean, it's not. Let's not leave it to the to the Mormons. We can get out there too, um, and, and go visit with people. Uh, you know, when I was a Sunday school teacher, uh, I always uh, every year we would make sure that we would come up with lists of our lost friends and we say can you schedule a time where we can take them out to dinner we don't want to go to their homes people are busy these days their houses are a wreck they you know but but you can take them out to dinner you know and 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 if if they're married with kids uh you can have somebody watch the kids and they'll appreciate the night out uh, and you can right. do visitation that way. You don't have to do just go to their homes anymore. And there's all kinds of things that you can do. And if you know that these certain people have certain antagonisms to Christianity, uh, that's where you get make sure you have the resident apologist going with you. And and the apologist can can take a lot of the shots that that maybe the other people in the church haven't caught up to yet with with how to respond. Uh, so there's all kinds of ways that you can do that in the local church. So. 
we're big on that, what, what that whether it's at the the local church level or if it's or if it's if you want to go do what dr hunter does and and uh you know we are a a multi denominational seminary here, but we we kind of sometimes tease about being the seventh Southern Baptist seminary because we got a lot of Southern Baptist guys who who can't afford to go to the other ones, uh, and they come here and and uh, we say you know the Southern Baptist Convention has got the perfect apparatus because you can go to your local D, uh, director of missions uh, and start networking with these churches and get in there and 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 teach people apologetics not just in your church but in but in other churches and these pastors out there would love a night off you know <laughs> yeah. on a Sunday night yeah, you know I'm, I mean they've I'm, so there's all kinds of ways for for guys to get out there and 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 uh and I don't know the apparatus for every denomination so they have to just apply the principle somewhere else but there's all kinds of ways that all these guys who are interested in apologetics can spend cut 50% of their online time and go out there and and, and talk to people in person and 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 talk to audiences and, and churches and, and do this. And so we're we're really big on on that 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 focus, and and we see results from it. You know, Dr. Braxton Hunter when he just got back from two weeks worth of revivals out, I think in your neck of the woods. You're in North Carolina. Yeah, I'm right on the that, right on the line there. I mean, I live in South yeah. Carolina, but I'm 20 minutes from you know Charlotte. Oh, okay. Well, he was in one of the Carolinas. For two weeks, uh, uh, and he just got back uh, earlier. Uh, I guess he got back last Friday, uh, but he said that the that you know he always incorporates this in some of his meetings, and he said they had probably twenty five people saved uh, at each of the meetings. In the first meeting, they had a deacon who was in his seventies that got saved. So uh, you never wow, know who is going to do what. I said this was that recently happened with the DJ. Oh yeah, thing? it was the first one wow. he did. He, he did a two week stretch, and uh, poor guy <laughs> had to swim it for the Lord on the beach out there, but in between things, in between <laughs> meetings. But uh, while we're back here in Newburgh, Indiana, you know, oh, sweating man. behind the computer screens, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, That's and he was awesome. telling us a story about amazing, yeah uh, about this deacon that got saved, and he, so you never know. What people are out there that this this kind of approach is going to you know trigger something that the Lord's going to use to you know ha- have a movement of the Spirit because we we hear a lot of people talk about you know oh we need revival oh we need revival well okay then start having them you know right <laughs> it's you know the the, the, me, the Holy Spirit you. likes to be busy through His people and there it's it's right. you know let me ask so that's, you this, that's kind of uh, where we're coming from. Right, right. Let me let me get your thoughts on this, Jonathan. I read a uh, article probably in the last year. I think it was put out by the Poached Egg. I want to say, uh, or might have been Wintry Night, one of those two. But uh, the article was basically saying, you know, we have uh, pastor of children, pastor of music, you know, pastor of this, pastor, of, you know, hundred different titles of pastors, but rarely do you see a church with like. Uh, uh, a pastor, kind of with a, with a, with uh, as as an apologist, kind of that is his right. sole thing. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's something that, uh, especially maybe some of the bigger churches, should look into, or do you think that should go right in right, right in uh, hand with the, the discipleship pastor? 
Yeah, well, that, that, that's what I was going to say. The, you know, these titles always change and shift with, with whatever the the latest, you know, bellwether churches are doing. So, so I right. I am on record. Uh, Dr. Clay Jones, one of my professors at Biola, has a blog, uh, and and I'm on record saying that the Christian apologist needs to be the new education pastor in churches because churches used to have what was called an education pastor and he would over he would oversee curriculums and it over you know he he would shepherd all the Sunday school teachers and things like that and it was genius the churches that had one um and i thought that's to me is the role of the apologist because the apologist more so than 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 any uh, other of the in multi-staff churches the apologist is the one who who's serious about, or typically is the one who's serious about educating people. Because we hear in apologetic circles, I'm sure you you, you do too, about well, the youth are leaving the church, and you know, uh, our our people are biblically illiterate, and they don't know how to confront the challenges of culture. And then our college and career guys are are, are and gals are drowning out there, you know. So so what do you do? And that used to be the role of 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 the education pastor was to kind of oversee the teaching uh, of of these the small groups or Sunday school class or things like that, and I thought that that's how the the apologist should morph into that because should should uh, not every church can afford to have a multi uh, a multi staff church uh, multi staff you know a lot of pastors and all that uh, some of them you have single pastors you might have a pastor and a and a, and a worship leader. Well, one of those two guys, if that's all you can have, uh, one of those two guys needs to be uh, in apologetics. Uh, you know, even if he can't go get degreed in it. But there's, to me, there, I, I would agree with in, in theory that whether you want to call him the education pastor or the the, the discipleship pastor or the apologist pastor or whatever, you every church, especially in metro areas. Um, should have a resident apologist, and I, this is going to sound tacky, I know, but he should be paid. <laughs> you know, paid alongside the other pastors. I, I'm big on that. You know, so uh, I don't like to see guys, you know, uh, end up, you know, paying for an education that their salary won't cover, much less pay their bills. You know, so. But I, I have a whole other rant on on. Uh, hiring practices in the SBC, so <laughs> I won't get into that. But yeah, I would agree with the premise that there should be a resident pastor that's that's into apologetics, and um, that way he can communicate and, and decimate the information throughout the church. Uh, you know, from the you know as we talked on the phone earlier, from the children's. Uh, I know everyone wants to focus on youth, 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 but from the children's uh, ministry on on up to. Uh, the the you know the uh, what do you call the seniors now? They used to be uh, YYs, but I don't know what they call them now in churches. But I won't even guess. Or that would probably get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's, well uh, let me ask you this: what What would you? How do you define? How would you define uh, define evangelism? I just took a, a course. Uh, last semester uh, in evangelism at SES, and had to read, uh, we had to read a bunch of books, really good books uh, on it as well. So you got a bunch of different it definitions is, of it. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. I think it was. Um, I think the, the guy that was 
I want to say Abraham was his last name. He's a, a Methodist, actually, but he was a he's a philosopher and um, was really good. But yeah, you get a bunch of different definitions. So how how do you how how do you define evangelism? I, I would define it as engaging anyone with the gospel message. Okay. Engaging anyone with the gospel message. That's pretty simple. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh Okay. I've I've seen all the the long definitions and the varied and same with the it's like the word worship, right? Everyone wants a piece of that. And, and right. everyone comes with this. But it it's really uh it, it's really simple to me. Evangelism, whether it's personal evangelism or or if you're you're doing an evangelistic meeting or you're doing open air preaching or whatever, any any engagement with other people on proclaiming the gospel message to me, you're doing evangelism. So yeah, we need more the, of, that. of that. The name of that book was called The Logic of Evangelism by William J. Abraham, and I don't know if you've if you've read that or not, but uh, definitely a, a, a good book. But it's, like you said, there's a lot of different a uh, lot of different definitions of it. So. Yeah, how, well, how, what, what was your favorite definition out of all that? I think the one you just gave. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to make the most well, sense. I just, uh, it just seems to be, yeah, that's that's what evangelism really is. I don't know why it's going to be so complicated. Well, it it, it doesn't, and and it's not hard to do either. Uh, it, does it take a little bit of training? Well, yes, but everything takes a little bit of training. That's that's why right. in the Baptist Convention they had they used to have what was called training union, <laughs> and you would go through all sorts of different things to learn uh, how to be a good Southern Baptist, and you know things like you know I know don't use the word program programming in church anymore. That's bad, but you know what? It's actually good because structures are pretty good and curriculums are pretty that's good right. if you have a, if you have a, so I'm not against all that. I I, I know. Uh, we it, we use a lot of unfashionable terms around here, like uh, programming, curriculum, soul winner, you know, altar call, all the words that people don't want to like anymore. I'm like, well, all we mean by that is what they entail, like invitation, altar call, right. whatever. Um, uh, and people make a lot of hay about different things like that. They do. I'm just like, well, they do. yeah, uh, you know, I, I. I uh, or I know in, into your heart and stuff like that. People just, you know, especially as Calvinists, you know, we can tend to make a mountain <laughs> out of a molehill. You know, it's like, well, well you know, now, here, here's my thing. I think, okay, ten years ago, well, gosh, probably longer than ten years ago, maybe maybe fifteen to twenty years ago. I think Paul Washer had a point when he raised that. You know, right. he was the first guy that really. Uh, that, that really started to show, and I, and I thought that he was genuinely concerned. But everyone who repeated yeah. it was just trying to cause a, a fuss. Uh, and yeah. they didn't really have Paul Washer's genuine concern about, because the concern the concern was, you know, Christian nominalism and just cultural Christianity is a big problem. And it was back then. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people actually miss it now because they look at well, at least when people pretended to be Christians, we were going in the moral commode in America. <laughs> right. But but still, at the same time, he was right, and and what was behind what he was saying, and it, it was a general wake up call and warning 
Um, not that he doesn't give people a chance to respond to his messages, because he does, you know. Uh, yes, absolutely. But sometimes just people will take the superficial talking point without the conviction or the meaning behind it, and then they'll go and they'll try to cause a ruckus and make that the big thing. But that wasn't Paul Washer's thing. At least I, I didn't read it that way. The way I understood is he had a genuine concern for people's souls and their spiritual health. Or if they had no relationship with Jesus and, and needed one. Uh, you know, I mean, look at the, the testimony of his wife, for example. I mean, you could see how, uh, with all of that kind of thing, how that kind of all that would feed into it, and it was a it was a good time to make that proclamation. We don't need people running around saying it now because it's a it's a different time and a different context. Uh, I'm not impressed when when people talk about the the you know I, I still hear people want to say things like, well, the biggest mission field's the church. No, it's not. Nobody in our culture goes to church unless they want to be there these days. There's no social advantage of going anymore. Uh, maybe some places yeah. in the south. But but maybe the rules yeah, now. Right. But but it's not it's it's a different world and some You're of right. the old cliches just don't yep. just don't hold up anymore. And so you gotta you gotta yeah. get off the, the stumps. So I get mad at preacher. This is the apologist in me. People think that we apologists we talk about the Kalam cosmological argument all day. But the apologist in me, one of the things that I, I see is the role of the apologist inside the church is doctrine enforcer. Uh so I call that doctrinal apologetics. You know, you're the guy who who reminds people gently uh, of, well, this is what sound doctrine is, and 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 not just let's just take the systematic theology textbook chapters, but everything the Bible teaches is doctrine. So when the pastors stump on these old cliches like Christianity is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts, uh, the 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 apologist needs to wag his finger and say, Pastor, salvation is not about do's and don'ts, but. Uh, <laughs> The yeah, Old like Testament that. had 613 uh, mitzvah <laughs> in it, but the yeah. Book of Romans has 95 imperatives in it by itself, and that's the Book of Romans. Uh, salvation wow. is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts, but Christianity is. Christianity has a lot of do's and don'ts, and those do's and don'ts are God telling creatures created in his image how to live best, you know, to please that's him. Right. So they're, they're not bad things. They're good things. You know, the commandments wow. to do this point. and not do that's that are good things. Yeah, yeah that's, so a that's, great, a, that's a great point. So uh, apologists, I see, apolo- I see apologetics as much broader than uh, than what a lot of people think of. Typically when they think of if they know anything at all about apologists, they think classical. If they know a little bit more, they think, okay, you have Hume case and presuppositional and classical and evidential, you know, and reformed epistemology. And then when they know a lot, they pick one and say, "This is it," you know. Uh, but for most people, they but even those people, they see they, that's still tunnel vision for me because if you look at apologetics through history, a lot of it's doctrinal, you know, inside the church, you know, right. uh, just kind of like the the prophets were the covenant enforcers of Israel. You know, the the apologist has to, you know, remind people, uh, prophetically if necessary, but gently uh, within the church of the doctrine of the church, you know, and the doctrines that the church believes. And so that's, a, to me, that's part of the, you know, apologists need to expand their thinking in terms of evangelism, in terms of di- discipleship and the life and health of the church. Uh, one of the things that James White, uh, and he gets picked on a lot, but 
one of the things that I like about him, he gave a a, a good speech one time that where he said, you know, apologetics is first and foremost a function of the church, you know. Right. And so it's a lot bigger than let's just get into some, you know, egg-heady philosophical discussion about first cause and infinite regresses and all that. Um, it's it's bigger than that. Um, and there's not a lot of people wanting to take up that mantle. And I hear all the time, I got into this with, uh, uh, I wrote an article about this, uh, because uh, very nice guys, very nice guys, I just had to respectfully disagree, but Max Andrew, Andrews and Glenn uh, Peoples both had yes. articles out there saying, you know, don't even go into apologetics, go into biblical studies or go into philosophy or, or go into something and, and specialize in one or the other things and just make apologetics your gig within whatever you specialize in. And I'm like, uh, that's fine for as far as it goes, but that's not what the church needs. The church has a lot of specialized uh, scholars. What the church needs is the 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 B team and the C listers uh, inside the church is working pastors, you know, that can know right. a little bit about a lot of it uh, and know a lot about a little of it and be able to find the information that they they're not experts in and get this into the 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 the, the hearts and minds of God's people in their local churches. Uh, and that way they become more effective evangelists in the 21st century, which is what in the 21st century West, you've got to have some apologetics ammunition in your, uh, you know, in your witness, or, or you're gonna, you're just not gonna be able to communicate because uh, even the dumb atheists that just will, you know, Google 101 contradictions in the Bible and then memorize five of them and then say, "Well, is there 20,000 horses or 200,000 horses? Which one is it?" You know, and you're talking to this guy, and he just keeps throwing out these random things. You know, how how many angels, you know, who was at the tomb first, blah, blah, blah. Whatever they can remember from the website. Now, they don't know anything about any of the synoptic gospels at all. You know, they they, they just read the first three things, and their attention span took them off to the next thing. Uh, but you you end up talking to these people, but that's still, that those things are there is still more than a lot of people in the church know. Uh, and that's kind of a problem. And right. so being able to so so even though most of the antagonists to the faith don't really know what they're talking about, and that's true at least ninety percent of the time. If you've if you've done a lot of that evangelism, you know, and you probably ran into this when you went to go do evangelism at that atheist conference, you know, most of those people uh, past the superficial bumper sticker stuff don't have a clue what they're talking about. Um, I, I, but if you don't have an good. answer what? to them. Yeah, right. but if you don't have an answer for them at all, you're actually worse. Does that make sense? Yeah, because yeah, you're I just so. you're just letting them you're just letting them run all over you, and because you didn't prepare for anything, because you you're not paying as much attention to the Bible as at least the the YouTube atheist is, then then that's that's a sad state of affairs in my view. Um, and yeah. there's. You can you can cling to the old time religion and stick your head into the sand, but then you you wonder why there's nobody left in your church, and your community is is dying out. You know, uh, so to me, apologetics and evangelism in the 21st century is a must. Yeah, I was just gonna gonna say, you know, I I uh, recently met with a gentleman, 
and uh, had this discussion and, you know, doing Ratio Christi, probably the biggest objection to apologetics I get is from other Christians, surprisingly. And as I sat down and I talked with this gentleman, I was just thinking, how, how do you convey to Christians the need to do apologetics? Because the issue is we are commanded to evangelize. You just cannot get around that. You are commanded to, to evangelize. So the question is, how do we do that effectively? And I think, you know, in our culture, especially in America, um, how are you going to share the gospel without having some knowledge of apologetics, and that's what I was trying to stress. You know, not everyone is going to be formally trained. and God hasn't called everyone to do that, but everybody should have some basic kind of working knowledge. So why, why do we need apologetics in order to do evangelism? What would you say to that? Why, why do we need it? Um, because the culture is, you know, we, we, I guess the phrase is post-Christian. Okay, but it's deeper than that. You know, you're 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 dealing with lost people, and in a post-Christian culture, they they now no longer have to hide, uh, you know, from their family and friends or whatever their peccadillos, so they can be blatant and open about their antagonism uh, to the gospel, to you know. Uh, honoring God as he deserves. Uh, so it's become popular now. Uh, you know, Bart Ehrman's on the bestseller list. So somebody's buying that book, you know. Uh, so that's the kind of culture. And then you've got – and that filters on down. Um, you've got, you've got uh, any excuse to not be a believer now so that you can indulge in the sinful lifestyle that you want to do and applaud others. I mean, we can go back to Romans – one eighteen and following all day long to explain the situation that America's in now, um, and it's the antagonism, the 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 let's you know let's not badmouth Christians is gone, you know people will say what right. they want about it now openly, and then it's encouraged because you will get uh, some nitwit commentator on one of these cable news shows like MSNBC, and he will talk about what most biblical scholars actually say about Sodom and Gomorrah. He can't name five, but he will say <laughs> most scholars – this is about hospitality. It has nothing to do with, with, with what we call homosexuality today and, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so there's all of this stuff out there, and uh, that's what people hear, uh, and now it's trendy to not be a Christian, and – you know, sadly, we focus in apologetics a lot on the on the atheists and the new atheism, the rise of new atheism, which is so overblown because they make a lot of noise, but they're a relatively small part of the community. What you're dealing with is hedonists, you know. Uh, right. In most places you go, they're they're they 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 have the Oprah faith of spirituality that they can't even yep. use Jello. You can't nail it to a wall. And it's just irrational uh, libertine paganism. And so we've got to have a response to that. And if they already believe in something or or some kind of God that they have their own thing going because God doesn't mind what they do, and they're happy with that, 
You know, you know, you've got to right. you, the the apologist has to be prepared for that because you're gonna, yeah, you might find the one atheist guy in your community and have to talk to him, you know, every now and then. But more often than not, you're just dealing with uh, libertines. So uh, we we we've got to reframe. But what they want to do is they want to be antagonistic to the Bible so they don't have to obey what it says. Um, so right. for me, the 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 way to get Christians in the church excited about apologetics is to start with uh, w- defending the integrity of Scripture and the reliability of Scripture. Uh, if you start with, I'm going to blow them away with all of this Kalam cosmological arguments, and I'm going to talk about the youthful Langton theorem, and they're going to think this is, no, you're going to put them right to sleep. <laughs> okay, because you're not talking about what they really love, because if you're in a Southern Baptist church, whether they read their Bible or not, they'll at least say they love it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you, the, the best way to get to get it going in any local church, to get people excited about apologetics and get them excited about talking uh, to lost people in the community about their faith, is to start with the Bible and defending the, the, the reliability, uh, the authority of Scripture, the 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 canon that kind of thing and i think that's a that's the that's the gateway to get 90% of the people in the church that would otherwise not be interested in what you have to say about classical uh natural theology arguments or things like that so i always say start mm-hmm. with the bible and the way you do that is is if you if you're a Sunday school teacher or whatever, you play the devil's advocate when you you get into the discussion about the text, and and you challenge you know, well, if you say you come across a text that that you know is a, a textual variant or something, you just start small. You know, <laughs> I know this sounds like yeah. being deceitful and, and stealth-like, trying to you know reel them into this evil world of apologetics. But you, and then you just kind of start pointing those kind of things out. And you say, how do we know what, what the Bible really said? You know? And and and, right. you, and 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 they'll want you to be able to resolve that for them because once you put it out there, they want to oh, You mean I can't trust my NIV anymore? I can't trust my, you know, uh, you know, your favorite story about uh Jesus and 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 the prostitute and and there, you know, he who has a sin cast the first stone. If you don't have sin, and and you know that's not even probably in the original. It might be though. Uh, right. Was his name David Allen Black? I'll say it is. But some pe- most 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 people, you know, look at those little brackets in your Bible. So they're not hiding it from you. Right. <laughs> you know, read the footnote, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, oh that's man, that's right. Yeah, it's like oh, and it'll hit them, and, and you say, well, somebody is going to say to you one day when you tell them that story that they read on Google, they're going to say, that's not even in the Bible. Go look it up. I know. You can't trust your Bible. It's all made up. You know? Right. Uh, and that's, and, and then, uh, you know, then they're going to have that Bart Ehrman collapse of their belief system. So the way I always suggest to people is start with, uh, you know, defending, uh, you know, the text of Scripture because that that's, the perfect entry into apologetics. If you start with other things that you're excited about, what you're excited about or what I'm excited about might not be what most people in in, in your local church are, can get excited about, but they can get excited about the Bible. Um, Hopefully, you know. Right. So, <laughs> so, 
But I always say start start there with people. If you want to get them to apologetics, and you start with let's talk about the Bible, uh, let's talk about the Old Testament, let's talk about the New Testament, and that's 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 where you start in the church, I think. Uh, and all the people that are you know a little bit further along, if you're lucky enough to have those people, they'll they'll hang around uh, until you get to the quote unquote other stuff that they like, you know. Uh, the good stuff or whatever, but they'll hang around because they'll know it's important to get everyone else on board. So I, I always say start with that, and that that's the, the easiest way to get lay people in the church uh, on board with starting in, in their interest in apologetics and peaking that. Uh, and then, of course, the resurrection is the next thing. You know, people generally don't rise from the dead, so they're going to say, why should we believe Jesus did? You know, and then... Right. You, you, and Easter is always the best time to talk about that. You know, every year is an opportunity to get deeper into apologetics, and a lot of churches just pass it by. Um, but, no. you know, there's you start with those kinds of things to get uh, the lay people in the church interested in it. But once they, once people get interested in it, they stay interested in it. I, I'm I'm confident in our field of interest that everyone else will like it too, or most people will like it too. Uh, once they're in it, it's just getting people into it. Uh, and there's yeah, for a lot of know that there's answers and stuff like that out there. But uh, let's right. let's do this. Let's take a take a break for two two three minutes. Uh, let me give the phone number out for people who are wanting to call, and uh, we'll give give people a chance to call in if you're wanting to call and ask uh, Mr. Pritchett a question regarding uh, evangelism, apologetics, etc. Uh, you can call in at 760-542-3907. That's 760-542-3907. We'll go ahead and take a break. And uh, if you have a question or comment, feel free to uh, give us a call. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of god through him the word justified means that you and i stand before god acceptable spotless pure and without sin that god looks at us and says there is no sin in that man there is no sin in that woman that he looks at us and we are now just in his sight so all the blasphemy that we've done by choosing stuff over God, all the blasphemy that we've lived in by saying my way is better than God's, all the blatant sin of saying creation is better than God's is removed and God sees us as just. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. This is great news. Nothing about your effort in that test at all. Nothing about your might, your religious stamina, your morality, your cleaning yourself up. You have been justified by an act of God. Bottom line, you have not earned right standing in front of God by your effort or your cleaning up of your life. We have been made pure standing blameless in front of God, not because of any kind of religious or moral pursuit, but because Christ died. And in His death, He 
absorb all of God's wrath for you and I. And that's why the Bible says that for the children of God, we are not appointed to suffer wrath. Because the wrath bestowed upon you and I was absorbed by Christ's death. Matters, and we are with Jonathan Pritchett, and we're talking about evangelism and apologetics. Great conversation so far. Uh, I definitely can tell that uh, Jonathan has a heart for people and wanting to see the gospel claimed and defended. And uh, we want to encourage you guys, you know, to uh, to engage in that. You know, theology matters really exists uh, to try and just. Uh, you know, get some of the best thinkers today and give you guys information, get you guys equipped so you can go out there and engage in evangelism. You know, truth matters. Uh, we don't don't make a Amen. dime from doing, doing the show. It's not a, certainly not a means of income or anything like that, <laughs> but uh, truth matters, so we, we want you guys to be equipped. So, Jonathan, maybe you could talk, uh, talk a few minutes, you know, within the of the apologetics world, there's sometimes these debates that will break out as to um, what method is the, the best method uh, or if there is a best method. Walk us through maybe the classical, evidential, and presuppositional method and uh, talk to us if you find one particularly better than the other or if you think integration uh, is best. Uh, I, I am... Uh, I guess I'm what they would call a confused apologist because uh, I don't I don't see myself clinging to my to one method and and of course I've never bought into the idea that they're they're irreconcilable and that you've got to you know go with one or the other and I'm an integrationist in the sense that that classical apologetics the 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 natural theology the arguments uh, you know you could you. You could say the cosmological arguments and the teleological arguments and the ever, you know, underestimated ontological argument. Even, uh, but the 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 proofs for God's existence uh, uh, through reason and natural theology is typically the the classical approach. And of course, evidentialists they will go to like the the resurrection uh, is their big thing. Uh, and and things like that, and of course harmonization of the gospel accounts and all the related issues with that. Uh, the evidentialist camp pretty much centers around the resurrection. 
Um, but then again, most classical apologists tack on the resurrection as well. So you've got the debate between Habermas and Craig in, in, in a book where they say, well, Habermas says, well, you can skip <laughs> uh, the first step of all the classical arguments and go straight to the resurrection, because if you have Jesus raised from the dead, the most likely candidate that can do something like that would be a god uh, that can raise people from the dead because people don't raise themselves. Um, but, but you know, uh, I started looking at what my boss and best friend, Dr. Braxton Hunter, was doing, and he, he, had, he y'all talked about his book, Core Facts. And, you know, acronyms are great because once you learn them, they don't go anywhere. I mean, TULIP's been around for a while, and I don't think that's going out of style. So anytime you can do an acronym, you're, you're, you've struck gold, and if you can get people to remember it. And he, his core part is the classical arguments, and his facts is uh, the resurrection and related issues with the uh, apostles and the growth of the church and what they were willing to uh, do for the sake of the gospel, you know, proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus. So... He kind of integrated both. If you don't need core and facts, well, then you only have to read half his book, you know. Or if you, you're you brushed up on the resurrection, you can read the other half of his book, the the, the classical arguments and stuff. But it's it's a brilliant way to to teach. Uh, and and so he's like, just use what you need. And I'm like, well, uh, I agree with that, but I'm also uh, much broader than that because uh, he, he, he'll have a frowny face when I start talking about presuppositionalism. Because I, I, I'm actually a fan of that, which is beginning with the premise that uh, without God, you have no foundation for anything else. Reality, logic, right. reason, science, everything else. Uh, and, and you know, I, I feel about Tag the way that Plantinga feels about his ontological argument. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's his favorite argument that he would never use. <laughs> you know, to convince anyone, you know, maybe for good and bad, you know, it's a great argument for, you know, it's slam dunk, but you've got to, you got to be willing to take it on board. And the same, same thing with tag, but the principles there in presuppositionalism, you know, and I, I would even say the moral argument fits into that as well. The main principles of that are useful because you, you, it, it is the foundational tool to deconstruct the worldviews that are opposed to the truth of the gospel and the truth of uh, Christ, resurrection, death, uh, the truth of uh, of everything uh, that they want to affirm themselves about reality. They want to believe, uh, unless they're just some silly postmodernists, they want to believe that what they're saying makes sense and everything else. And you say, well, c- can you give me your accounting for why I should think that the words you, that you construct together with language make any sense and are reasonable? Uh, so you can peel behind the curtain with presuppositionalism. And so I'm a big fan of it uh, as much as I'm a fan of any of the other methods. Uh, cumulative case, you know, or, or, or uh, juridical apologetics, however you want to label that, where you just point to, the, you point to every signpost you can and take it from there to Jesus, you know, just like Spurgeon would do with every passage that he read from anywhere in the Bible, he could go beeline to the cross from it, you know. Well, in the same way, the the Cume case apologists will take anything that they can get their hands on, whether it's any sort of truth, goodness, or beauty that you can find uh, in reality, and use that as a signpost to point the way to Jesus. And so I like all of that, and all of it, you need to get 
a familiarity with all of it to really appreciate all of them and to discard the negative aspects of all of them because uh, yeah. there's you know sometimes there's a downside too but but the the thing is the thing is not the method okay the thing is the circumstance uh, if you're in, interested at all in evangelism you're going to find yourself in a variety of different circumstances and so if you have as many tools and methods as you can get your hands on uh, the 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 ups and downs of the methods don't matter so much as knowing when to put them into practice. And so I'm, I'm kind of an integrationist because it depends on the people you're dealing with. Um, I think classical apologetics is great for strength. I mean, it strengthened my faith. I, I told you testimony. It was all that uh, classical and evidential stuff I was reading in Strobel's book that, that turned me on to apologetics. And I knew I had to go to Biola, so I enrolled in a community college in North Little Rock, Arkansas, with the knowing one day I am going to be a master's student at Biola, and sure enough, I did it. Uh, you know, it was a long road for a guy in his late 20s to get started down. But, you know, there I was, you know, slowing away at a little community college just to get, you know, what I could afford at the time, uh, just to get on that track. And I was going to go to Biola, and I was going to be the next William Lane Craig. And then I met a professor, and I ended up taking – by by just craftily selecting all of my electives to make sure I had this one professor. He, his name is Kevin Lewis, who's one of my favorite apologists of all time that most people have never heard of. Uh, and if you can get him on your show, he is fabulous. Really? Uh, he is, yeah, he is the systematic theologian of of uh, uh, the Biola's apologetics program, and oh, wow. he's a reformed guy. And uh, and he introduced me to uh, presuppositionalism, and so uh, he kind of became a mentor of mine. I, I guess I bugged him long enough to where he decided he was going to put up with me, uh, and <laughs> uh, he's just fantastic. He really loves his students. He, you know, you know, we're it's a distance program for a lot of us, and so but he he'll take the time to to call you up on the phone and make sure you're doing all right and all of that. And so he kind of – so I, I believe it or not, I left Biola a big fan of presuppositional apologetics. And you don't really wow. associate that with Biola. You know, you think uh, William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland and that whole thing, but people forget that Talbot's, you know, pretty much a basic reform dispensational theological training ground, right? I mean, that's John MacArthur came out of there and all of that. Uh, and some of that right. leads over into the apologetics program as well, which is good because you get a whole lot of different things, you know. Um, and so it was a good program, but I left, you know, uh, oddly enough, I was no no longer reformed in my theology, uh, but I was a presuppositionalist. And, and I became really good friends with a guest that you had, uh, shout out to Miguel Benitez. He, uh, we were going through Biola at the same time, and he's a fantastic oh, cool. guy. I love him to death. And it was kind of like the same deal that, you know, I talked to you about earlier on the phone, how, you know, you're the reform guy in the classical apologetics. You know, that's your main thing. And here I am trying to wave the banner, don't leave out presuppositionalism. Wow, man, you're a hardcore Calvinist, aren't you? No, <laughs> I'm not, but it's it's got its merits. And I, I, don't, I don't buy into the thing that you have to be, you know, take on board – uh, every th- jot and tittle of Reformed theology to put presuppositional apologetics into use because I, I essentially agree with the main things that they want to s- stress about uh, the uh, the lost person and what they're doing 
uh, in their sinful state and all that. I'm, 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 yeah, that, that all. I'm with that, and you've got to keep that in mind when you're doing any kind of evangelism, whether you're going to incorporate apologetics or not. You you have to remember that the Holy Spirit's got to do work, and so we'll have people in any seminary, and. Sometimes you'll they'll they'll be either bachelor students uh, in the in the undergraduate Bible college program or or their master's students that are coming into this with a degree in another field, and right. at a certain point they realize okay some of this stuff's hard it's a little bit harder than my econ one class from from my business major, and they'll they'll th- and they'll say why do I have to learn all this stuff to just go preach the gospel you know. And right. you'll, you'll tell them, I said, I could just be filled with the Spirit, and the, and the Spirit will carry me along. And I'm like, yeah, but you're still you. And so the Holy Spirit's going to be in you working with what you got. <laughs> so why don't yeah. you honor the Holy Spirit and give him more to work with? And, it, and in apologetics, it's the same principle. Give, you know, em, embrace as much as you can because you know the Holy Spirit is going to work through, and yes, the Holy Spirit can do what he wants and, and can perform all kinds of things in spite of what we say and do, but on a, on a normal thing, it should be a condition of your heart to be yeah. to recognize what you're doing when you're evangelizing with a lost person, and you want to be able uh, to, I think you honor God the most in your evangelism when you can be as complete as possible as as a person. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus. And so you got to understand what you're engaged in. And I know it's not trendy to talk about unless you're a Pentecostal who wants to cast demons out of flat tires, but you are in a spiritual battle, you know, whether we talk about it or not, uh, a lot. There's a lot of things going on when you're witnessing to lost people. There's a lot of things that are happening in the spiritual world with them. Um, and so you want to be mindful of all that, and you got to know, not only are they suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, but there's a lot. They get a lot of encouragement from from uh, you know demons, and I know that sounds. Oh, there he goes. He's one of those wild-eyed. No, it, this you know it's it's in the Bible, so I believe it. You know, so Try, you want to make yeah. sure you're aware of all of that stuff. So if you have the if if you have the idea that you're just on equal footing with this person and you're on neutral ground and you're going to see who can who can come out with the best case, uh, you've totally misunderstood it. And the presuppositional approach is very good at reminding you that that's just not how reality really works. You know, you're not going to have this ivory tower. You're on an equal playing field with your opponent, you know, and you're going to just, you know, we always hear, follow the evidence wherever it goes. People don't want to see the evidence, you know. So you've, You've got to do your diligent prayer before you get into this. You've got to do your homework before you get into it. But you don't have to do much because, like I said, most people out there are hedonists. They don't read much past Twitter anymore. They, they, you know, so if they can track with the conversation at all. So even if you just go through a simple apologetics book, uh, you're you're going to be well off, <laughs> a lot further down than a lot of people in our culture these days. So. You know, the more that we can do to ready ourselves, uh, the more confidence we can have in our evangelistic efforts because God wants us to go out there and preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit wants to go out there and save people. Uh, But the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit does his thing 
and he'll do it inside of us or he'll do it in spite of us, and I understand all of that. But from our position and who we are in Christ, we know what we've got to do to honor Christ. And so whether you're Reformed uh, or you're not Reformed or whatever, you can still understand the basics of the spiritual war that you're you're entering into when you get into evangelism, whether you're giving a revival uh, behind the comfort of a pulpit where they expect to hear Jesus stuff, or you're like the you know the open air preachers, which is sadly dominated by crazy sandwich board people these days, and I'd like to see that <laughs> whole movement become same. But you know, I, I still believe in that approach as well, just not the way the most popular people are doing it these days, because that's really obnoxious. But you know, true open air preaching, uh, true personal evangelism. Uh, I have a a, a friend. Um, do you know you know who Nick Peters is? Uh, I do. I don't know yeah. If you're, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I'm always I'm always encouraged when I see you know he, he, him and his church group. They go out, you know, and they go to bars and nightclubs and witness to people. And you know that sounds so foreign to a lot of people, but you go where the the lost people are, and you don't have to engage in their same behavior to be you know in their proximity. Uh, and if if little church ladies are offended that you, they saw you because they were coming out of the supermarket across the street, that's fine too because <laughs> God knows what you're doing in there. So don't worry about it, you know. But I, I always appreciate uh, when I when I he'll he'll occasionally post about what happened that you know that night. And I always uh, my boss is shy. I'm always telling him you need to start telling people what happened at your at your last meetings. And he 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 never you know promotes that kind of thing about i just got back and we had 30 people saved you know uh so i might start doing it for him <laughs> but but he doesn't do that so so a lot of people don't know that there are people out there that are doing this with apologetics out in the highways and byways and it actually you know god is happy to save and bless those endeavors and the more people are doing it the more god uh, you know it, it, it can bless you know so I'm excited about it. I think that people, uh, if people get into this, if if all those uh, people who are on the blog sites and they have their internet uh, apologetics ministries going on, if they they take a simple book into their church and get, you don't have to start big, start small, and just start working it through people. They'll they'll get excited again, and they'll want to go out and they they'll, they'll want to share the gospel with their lost friends. Uh, and there's all kinds of ways that you can make that manifest. Uh, there's not one single uh, program or anything like that. There's a whole bunch of different things. And if you just you just work at it every week, you know you'll start to see things happen. Um, but you've got to you've got to have the mindset that that this is what we need from apologetics to engage the culture, and we need the heart uh, to know that the good news that we we rejoice in is good news that other people should rejoice in as well. And you put those things together, and you can do effective ministry and evangelism with apologetics. Good stuff. Very good stuff. Got We've got just a few minutes left, so let me ask you. Maybe you could um, take uh, take two or three minutes maybe and just talk about how uh, people, Christians who are at their work or at their place of employment, what are some tips that uh, maybe you could give them uh, on how to do evangelism. A lot of times evangelism is just very scary uh, for Christians. So take a few minutes maybe and just talk about what are what are some tips that we could use at our, at our workplace or whatever, groups or whatever we're in. Well, if you're, if you're talking about 
this, this would fall under personal evangelism, okay? If you're talking about coworkers and friends, where do you start? You start by, you know, this is where you've got to build relationships with people, and this is where you become a good listener. The, 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 the key to any personal evangelism is to be a good listener, I think, and you need to listen to their stories. Uh, when I was a barber, for example, uh, they didn't want to hear me talk. They wanted to pay me to not just cut their hair, uh, but to shut up and listen to them talk about their grandkids, you know, uh, because people like to talk about their lives. And so if you can learn to be a good listener, you can listen to what they're interested in. And then when you start to get to know them and you develop a relationship with them, then you can start to talk to them about things beyond the superficial level. Uh, but the, they've got to be able to trust you because you can't – some of the problem with the old evangelism models was it was all – sales pitch um and that's you know people are a lot more cynical these days and they'll pick that up right and you can actually do a disservice because you've got to love people you've got to be praying for these people and you've got to build a relationship with these people but once you find out what they're into uh and what they like and what they think about the world you can uh and i highly recommend don johnson i know he became a catholic so uh, but don't write him off too quick because he wrote the book before he became Catholic. If 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 you're not into that kind of thing, but uh, you know how to talk to a skeptic is a good book because not just with talking to skeptics, but just lost people in, in, in general. You find out how they answer the big questions, and I think that's a genius approach. That's kind of a cum case to me is what you deploy, uh, you know, with a presuppositional mindset, uh, but with a cum case uh, sensibility. Uh, because you could start taking the things that they're interested in, and you can start asking how they they answer the big questions, how do they account for those kind of things. And after you've let them talk about themselves enough, it's like any relationship, you know. You don't want your, you know, you don't want you you don't want to be asked uh, about any of the same stories that that you told your wife a thousand times, right? So so pretty much at some point, these people in the relationship will have exhausted the stories about themselves, and it's your turn to talk. And when you, when, when you have that relationship and it's your turn to talk, you can talk about the things you're into and you can connect it to the things they're into and show how their interest in, in art and beauty or something like that or good music. And if they, they talk about how they hate uh, pop music or, or whatever, and you can, you can point to, well, do you think there's any objectivity to beauty? You know, you can ask them that, those kind of questions. Do you, do you think that when you say, I don't like that, are you making a – personal preference or are you saying something that's actually real in reality and those are the kind of i mean sure it kind of sounds like a stoner conversation <laughs> but but those are the kind of things that, that can catch people's interest and and if they like beauty you can say let me tell you why i believe that actually is a beautiful you know piece of classical music or why that's a really is a beautiful sunset not just something i it's not just my mere opinion or, or things like that, and it's so simple to show them the grounding for all of that, being, uh, you know, a triune God, uh, just, you know, love. You know, people people always talk about love, and so you can get people, in, in, you know, talk about love, and when they're talking about God, you you say, well, you know, uh, if you believe in God, uh, there was no, there was no. There was nothing here for God to love, so how did God love when there was when he hadn't created yet? You know, you don't have to say when logically prior to the creation of a temporal universe, you just say when he hadn't created yet because they're not philosophers who are going to nitpick you to death. You say, you know, before there was a universe, uh, how did God love? Well, here's why I think 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, uh, the Trinity makes sense to me. It's because uh, persons need to love persons in order to eternally love persons, you know. And that's how right. I envision God as a tr- And you can just go into – and that's not just doctrine. That's that's apologetics. You know, that's why apologetics Absolutely. and doctrine go hand in hand. And you can talk about those things from your what you know of them and what they love. And that's just like one example. But there's there's all kinds of examples. You know, you talk about their favorite movie, The Good Guy versus The Bad Guy. And it's not one yeah. of those new, you know, you say, okay, well, why was what he was doing good when he was fighting those terrorists or whatever? And why are the terrorists considered bad? Is there... Aren't they just people that are doing what they all think is right, and there's no real right or wrong answer? And, of course, most people at a gut level, unless they're trained in philosophy, are going to say, yeah, yeah, that's terrible what they were doing, and I'm glad the good guys won. And then you go straight into the moral argument and say, well, here, here's why I think that. So there's all kinds of things, but it starts with listening and building a relationship. It's 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 being able to find out enough about them that you can show that what they already like and what they already love points to Jesus. All right. I appreciate you coming on the show, Jonathan. Very good good job. Uh, great discussion. The podcast will be up as soon as the show's over. So, uh, you know, you guys should share it and uh, get this out. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Jonathan. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, with, with guests like... Miguel and and Braxton, man, I I think I've I've finally arrived. You know, those are people say who's your favorite apologist? Do you like William Lane Craig or or or, or Mike Lacona? Who's your? And I'm like, uh, Braxton Hunter, Miguel Benitez, and his his compatriot Kristen Davis. The people I went to school with, they're the awesome people. And my professor Kevin That's Lewis awesome. and and Clay jo- Dr. Clay Jones. Those those are my my apologetics heroes. Uh, when I meet the nice. other guys, I might give them a shout-out. And Mike Lacona, I love Mike Lacona. <laughs> He's a good friend of mine. Um, but I haven't met yeah. others, so they're not my favorites. <laughs> but when you know somebody, yeah. you know, yeah. that changes how you feel about them. So while my favorites are people that most of your listeners probably never heard of, they should go check these people out because they are legit people. Yes, they are. Yep, very, very good people, good apologists. So, All right, sir, we will have you back on again. And uh, thanks for coming on. And look forward well, thank to you. God bless session. you. And your wife, Melissa, and your daughter. All right. Thank you, man. God bless. Thanks again. All right, folks. Good show. Uh hope you take the information and pass it along. See the importance of evangelism and apologetics. That's one of the things I love about uh Jonathan Pritchett and and uh Dr. Braxton Hunter. I love their love for theology, but also their love for people. And if you have uh, one without the other, I think you're way off balance and it's going to cause problems. So next week, join us. We're going to have my friend Adam Johnson on. We're going to be looking at the apologetic methodology of Francis Schaeffer. And we're not real familiar with Francis Schaeffer, so it'll be kind of a new new time for me as well. So I appreciate you guys joining us and look forward to uh, having you guys join us again next week as we look at uh, theology, apologetics, and see why these issues matter so much. So thanks for joining us, and look forward to seeing you guys again next week. God bless. Marilyn Monroe is dead. However, she's done a lot. Yeah, yeah.
Orlando is dead. James Brown is dead. Yeah. Princess Dot and John Lennon is dead. Yeah. Biggie Smalls and Pac is dead. Mm-hmm. However, Jesus is alive. Give praise to King Jesus, the blessed son, victorious, glorious, resurrected one. To him belongs the power, glory, and honor. Ascended where he sits at the right hand of the Father. At the cross he made atonement, his people he saved. After three days he was raised and defeated the grave. By faith the elect behold him, his scepter is golden. He must have been hot and slippery cause death couldn't hold him. The spotlight is on today's icons. In a thousand years nobody will care, their light's gone. But at that time Christ will still shine bright. He's not in the limelight. He is the limelight Criminal minded You've been blinded Looking for the body of Jesus You won't find it We never lack spirit Letting you can't hear it Cause it's human empty Like most secular rap lyrics Plato is dead Socrates is dead Aristotle and Emmanuel Kant are dead Nietzsche and Darwin are dead However Jesus is alive Buddha is dead, Muhammad is dead, Gandhi and Holly, Salasi are dead, Elijah Muhammad is dead, however, Jesus is dead.